You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 228 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Still excited? Still excited? Well, I'm super excited this week. Like, I'm even beyond more excited than I was last time. And then Is I had a small possible? lull of excitement, admittedly. Oh, yeah. So there was like, there was a week of full excitement when the books arrived. Then there was a lull last week because the week before the book comes out is, oh, it's a it's a no man's land mm, of yeah. anxiety and pain. And then the book comes out. Yes. And so now I'm excited again. Even though launch day was, I've got to tell you, the just such a Tuesday. Like it was just, mean? it was a Tuesday. Like there was the people are like, hey, are you having a great day? It's like, I'm having a Tuesday. But um, <laughs> Because yeah, it's weird, yeah. Um, and I, like I went and signed books at my local bookshops, but they said to me, don't come until Wednesday because we can't guarantee that the books will be here oh, or yeah. that we will have got them out of the boxes yet, mm. you know, which is a massive letdown. But still, mm. you know, they're great. At least they know me well enough now to go, Al, just don't peek early. Need to mm. come on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so I went in and signed books and stuff on Wednesday and that was all the exciting. But, um, yeah, no, weird. But anyway, it's out there. And, look, I've had my first review <gasps> and it's good. Thanks. So I just, I'm so relieved because that's the other thing. You set up a massive question, mm. why would you write a book no one can read, and then you have to answer it and you have yes. to just hope that your answer is satisfying. Like I just want readers to be satisfied that they've got it all. Yes, and it's yes. Apparently all the threads are tied up and it's pace, you know, the pacing is amazing and it's great. So I'm just like, yay. How awesome. And of Thanks course. Ashley in, at the Book Muse for that. In case there are any new listeners, the oh, book hello. you are referring to is. <laughs> I'm so good at this. I'm just a natural. I'm such a yeah, professional. You are. You're I'm good. such a professional. Yeah. Um, so the book in question that we are discussing with such excitement is the Book of Answers, which is the second book in my Ataban Cipher series for middle grade readers, which is now available in Australia. And both books will be available in the US in January 2019. Very, very exciting. And good. of course, no, if better. you have read... Uh, the Book of Answers, make sure you do a review on Goodreads for Al. Because, yes, um, or Amazon. Or um, Amazon, if you've yeah. read The Book of Secrets, which is the first book in the Adaban mm. Cipher, I would really appreciate some reviews on that one as well because, you know, it's one of those things, it's like a, just like a little thank you letter to a to an author. It's really helpful. I can't tell you how helpful it is and it mm. just makes me so happy. <laughs> it just makes so happy. Let's make Al happy. <laughs> Please make Al happy. Buy the oh. book and review it. That would be lovely. <laughs> All right. So someone who has made us both happy is Lollipop. One, oh. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one is her <laughs> wow. is her username from the US. I love that we have listeners all over. So thank you so much, Lollipop, for leaving us this review on iTunes. Lollipop has said motivation even as a teen. And Lollipop has said, this is such a great podcast. I've been coming up with stories since I was in second grade and knew that I wanted to write someday. This podcast has introduced me to so many different types of writing. It motivates and inspires. It's so interesting and Val and Ella hilarious. And the word of the week has expanded oh. my vocabulary as a high schooler. It's great. She's just that, no, she's. Thank you so much, ladies. Keep up the great work. We love you, Lollipop. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, eight, seven, six, seven, eight, four, three, two, one. We and love keep up, you. Keep up the writing. Yes, Go keep up you. the writing. I'm so excited that you're listening to us so young. You know, it's, it's mm. brilliant. The earlier you start, the better. Yes, definitely, definitely. Really appreciate it. You've made our day and um, uh, thank you so much. And, of course, if any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, that would be so awesome because it really helps us in the rankings. 
All right, let's move on to something that we want to talk about this week. And it actually comes um, inspired from Emily, who is one of our podcast listeners. By the way, if you are a podcast listener and you want to join the party, mm, where it's a party. It is a party and Al and I hang out in this party very, very frequently. We have a Facebook group. So just go on Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. There's lots of people from all different walks of life and we talk about all things to do with writing and publishing and Banoffee Pie and Procrasty Pub. We talk about all sorts of things, but it's a great place to hang out and get some resources. But anyway, Emily, who is in our podcast listener community, has asked us a question that we thought, you know, would be relevant to quite a number of different people. Um, And it's relevant whether you write in this genre or not. So Emily has said, I'm currently writing a contemporary fiction novel that I'm close to completing after seeking editorial feedback through a freelance editor. I will then begin the querying process to agents and publishers. I also have two rom-com type or chick lit novels that I'm about to self-publish. The contemporary fiction and the chick lit are very different types of novels. Okay, so Emily's questions are, um, they, and they all kind of relate to each other, Will self-publishing my chick-lit novels affect my chances of scoring a publishing deal for my contemporary fiction? Of course, they'll be professionally edited and cover designed and so on. Should I tell the agents and publishers I'm querying about my chick-lit novels? And then should I perhaps consider self-publishing my chick-lit under a pseudonym so not to have the two genres clash? These are all really good questions, I think. Well, they are, and I'm fascinated to hear what you have to say about all of them. <laughs> All right. So in the first instance, Emily, congratulations on yeah. actually yay. completing yeah, yay. Completing what it sounds like three at least novels. Two of them are chiclet, one is a contemporary fiction novel. So well done you. A lot of people don't even get to that stage. They don't even get to the finishing one novel stage. So fantastic that you finished three and you're you actually have the option of publishing all three. So the first question Will my chick, will my self, will self-publishing my chick lit novels affect my chances of scoring a publishing deal for my contemporary fiction? And uh, Emily says they'll be professionally edited and cover design. Well, first and foremost, um, if they, as long as they are professionally edited and cover designed, mind you, because not all self-published novels are. Some are don't look professional at all, and if they don't look professional, it could affect your chances. But mm. assuming you know, assuming they are professionally edited and it looks like it's from a mainstream publisher but you've self-published it, that's fine. I don't believe it will affect your chances of scoring a publishing deal for your other kind of book, for your contemporary Mm. fiction. Remember, with the caveat, as long as they do look professional and all of that sort of thing. Um, If it looks bad, that's just going to look bad for you generally. So that is going to affect your chances, so to speak. Hope that makes sense. So that one Mm. is an easy one to answer. But then should I tell the agents and publishing publishers that I'm querying about my chick lit novels? Now I'm interested to know your answer on that, but I'll give you my opinion first. Um, I believe that um, not in your first query, your first query should focus on one thing. And that is the book that you actually want them to be interested in, your contemporary Mm. fiction novel. So focus 100% on that and don't bother telling them about the other ones just yet. If they then continue the conversation because you've piqued their interest or they want to find out a little bit more about you or whatever, that's when you tell them. But don't muddy the waters or dilute your message in one email saying, hey, I want you to publish this, you know, can you consider this for publication? But I've also got these these two other ones that, you know, it's just too confusing. Do you think? Well, I think this comes to question three, which mm. is should I perhaps consider self-publishing my chick lit under a pseudonym? Because I actually think that that is something that were it me in this situation mm. is probably something that I would do because there's part, part of, you know, question two there about agents and publishers Yes, you need to focus on your on your. I'm assuming it's more of a lit fic type thing that you're looking at here. Your contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I yes, you need to focus on that in your pitch, but you also have to remember that they will Google you 
and they will Google yes. your name and what is going to come up is two self-published chiclet novels that you haven't mentioned, which is totally fine. But what happens with publishing and agents is that they're looking at what can I do with this author? How do I build a brand around this author? What's going to happen, you know, next? Because you want, you know, essentially what you're looking at is a career here and what you're giving them in this particular instance is you writing two completely different things under the same name which if people start Googling is, is what's going to come up, muddying the brand situation from a publishing perspective. So mm. you actually do need to think about that going forward. Um, I personally would probably put a pseudonym on the chiclet. Um, I think self-publishing the chiclet makes perfect sense because it's, it's the kind of genre that goes off in ebook form. Yep. It's the kind of thing that once you have a reader, I'm, I'm loving the fact that you have two ready to go mm. because it's the kind of thing where it, that particular genre in, uh, you know, and crime is another one, um, does so well um, with, you know, on ebook and Kindle and stuff like that because at the end of the day, those readers, if they find you, they will want to read more. They want yeah. to go, they want the next book straight away and they, they're going to pay what $4 for it or whatever it is. Um, and you get a lot of volume that way. Like I, I found myself on a train the other day with nothing to read. I downloaded a, a friend's book. She's a, a, a romance kind of, you know, in that sort of genre area. I downloaded a friend's book cause I'd been promising to read it for ages. It was fantastic. So I then immediately, I finished it, which took me being me about an hour and a half. And I hadn't quite got to the end of my train journey. I immediately downloaded the second one and started that because at the kind of mm. price point you're talking about on eBooks, um, and if the voice of the of the author really speaks to you in those kind of genres, you just want to read the whole lot, which is what I did. She had, I think she's got six or eight books or something out. I've read them all in the space of the last ten days because I was anxious about my own book coming out. So I think it's worth that. That is 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 uh, is perfectly is you know definitely a great way way to go about it with your chiclet. But I would think if you then want to go and do a traditional deal on your contemporary fiction, which you're saying is a very and you have underlined very in your mm. query, different novel consider putting some kind of cute, fun pseudonym on your chiclet and keeping your name, which is a fantastic writing name, let me just say. We, I won't share it, but um, it's a fantastic name on a, on a contemporary fiction novel. Absolutely. I would be keeping that for that particular aspect. So what you basically do then is you, you can say I have published, uh, self you know, indie published, however you want to put it, um, two chiclet novels under the name X, which yes. then also shows the agents and publishers that you have thought about this mm. and you understand. Because the thing is, if that book goes out, your contemporary fiction with your name on it, and it's, you know, really well received and stuff, readers will go looking to see what else you've written. Now, yeah. those readers are probably not your chiclet market necessarily. They, there's, there is crossover, obviously, but not necessarily and vice versa. So, you have to think about like you. I, I personally think you're setting up two different brands here. You can yep. still have one. You don't need to kind of go off and have 87 different author websites <laughs> for this stuff. You can definitely have the two, have them sitting happily under you know one banner. Mm. But it's worth noting that you've got two separate because readers fall into different categories as well. Do you know what I mean? So, I would consider the pseudonym for the chiclet myself. That was what I would do. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense actually because Alison is right. If you, if a agent or publisher wants to build you your name as a brand in literary fiction, uh, it will be harder if you already have a name for yourself as in chiclet. So a great yeah. example, of course, is Kim Wilkins who yes. writes children's historical and speculative fiction under Kim Wilkins but under... Kimberly Freeman, she writes her chiclet novels. So, yeah. you know, it's well, they're a, not really chiclet. They're not well, really no, chiclet, sorry, but they're yeah. more commercial women's fiction. Exactly. Yeah, contemporary fiction. Yeah, if they're different, is the point. To they the are different, exactly. Yeah. Well done. And Pamela Freeman, Pamela Hart. <laughs> yes, yes. On you know, writer, center, presenter, exactly the same. You know, I, yeah. I and it's definitely it is a consideration. Mm. I think. Yep, definitely. So hopefully that answers your question Emily you know um good luck with it and like I yeah. said congratulations good luck you. with all of the things yes yes and you know can't can't wait to hear until you've written novel number four <laughs> mm. now we also want to say thank you to everyone who took part in furious fiction in March how popular is that I just can't get Spot. over how Off. that 
has been embraced and how excited everyone is oh. and, and how incredibly good the winners are. So They're good. So good. So incredibly good. And it is hard because there's so many quality entries that come in. So if you don't know what Furious Fiction is, just go to writercentre.com.au slash furious. And uh, basically it is um, an awesome short story competition where you get the chance to win $500 every single month. And it's held on the – well, it kicks off on the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. where you're given a – a couple of clues. Well, they're not clues. They're just things that – some instructions that you, that you need to follow uh, to write your short story for that particular month. Then you have – you get an email that basically tells you what those uh, parameters are. And then you have 55 hours to write a 500-word story, 500 words or fewer. And um, – and, and you, yeah, that's why it's called Furious Fiction because you only have 55 hours in order to write it and submit it. Of course, you can take five minutes if that's all it takes for you, but, you know, you probably write a better one if you take longer. And every month there's a winner who wins $500. So congratulations to our winner for March, Alicia Bakewell, who takes away the $500 prize for her amazing short story, Ladies' Night. And again, you can go to writercentercomau slash furious to read her story and also the other shortlisted stories. So hopefully you'll feel inspired to enter Furious Fiction for April, which is kicking off very soon. So you need to make sure that you've signed up to the Furious Fiction fan club so you can be notified as soon as the competition opens. And go to writercentercomau slash furious to join the club and good luck there you go furious fiction all there yes all there speaking of competitions we have a competition for our listeners we're giving away three copies of the lebs by michael muhammad ahmad a confronting new novel from the award-winning Sydney Morning Herald best young novelist and basically uh this is what it's about as far as Barney Adam is concerned, Punchbowl Boys is the arse end of the earth. Or, though, <laughs> though he's a leb and they control the school, Barney feels at odds with the other students who just don't seem to care. He is a romantic in a sea of hyper-masculinity. Barney must come to terms with his place in this hostile, hopeless world while dreaming of so much more. The weekend Australian says... In its vibrancy, its warty candour and willingness to engage with the messy business of people falling out of their known worlds without knowing where to go next, The Lebs is a strong and resident novel, resonant novel that deserves to be widely read. And entries close on the 2nd of April, so go to writercentercomau slash win in order to win. Now, Alison Tate. Are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> no, not really. I was thinking about the lebs and I was thinking that it sounds like something that book boy might enjoy. Yes, um, but yes, he should but enter. by all means, let us discuss the word of the week because okay. that sounds amazing. It is. Yeah. So it's topical too. Uh, the word of the week is kozena. That's C-O-Z-E-N-E-R. Have you ever used that? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. Do you know what it is? No. It sounds really old-fashioned. It like does. it sounds kind of Dickensian. It, yeah, it could be. <laughs> well, you might think it also sounds like something or someone who likes getting cosy with another, cozener, <laughs> like a something that goes over a teapot perhaps. Procrasty pup is a cozener. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's not, and you don't <gasps> want to call procrasty pup a cozener. No, no, no. Because according to the Macquarie Dictionary, to cozen, C-O-Z-E-N, means to cheat, deceive, or beguile. So a cozener is a cheat. Therefore, mm. you might say, many people have labelled the disgraced captain of the Australian <laughs> cricket team a cozener after he admitted to being involved with ball tampering. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. that many people would have na- would have labelled him that, given no one knows what the word is. <laughs> I have to say that Procrasty Pup can be a little cozy when he wants to be. What? And he wants to snaffle a bit of extra, you know, kibble or something. Anywho, okay. a cozener. Thank you for that. I feel so much better. Yes, I thought you might. Yeah. All right. Al, do tell us 
Who is our writer in residence this week? I've just realised that I forgot to write that down somewhere. Um, <laughs> our writer in residence this week is none other than the fabulously charming Kerry Sackville. Now, Kerry Sackville is an old friend of both mine and Valerie's and anyone who has seen her on Twitter or Facebook or read her opinion pieces or done any of those things will know how incredibly amusing she is. Um, and she has a new book. Uh, which is is out right now, available right now, and she is going to tell us all about it and various other things. We have a very interesting discussion about failure, which I think is the thing I love about Kerry, and I think it's one of the things that makes her writing work so incredibly well when she does her memoirs and her opinions, is that she doesn't hold back. Like she's mm. she doesn't um, stop from what am I trying to say? She she doesn't hold back from kind of making herself look silly to make the point, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Um, she has no fear of, of honesty. And I think that it's something that makes her voice incredibly good and memorable and also funny. But it's also, you know, she's she's got some uh, interesting lessons, I think, in this, in this interview for um, all writers aspiring and published and all of the things. So here it is, Kerry Sackville. Kerry Sackville is an Australian author, columnist, and social commentator, as well as being a media personality, whatever that means. Maybe she can explain that to us. She writes regularly for Sunday Life magazine, SMH Online, and news.com.au. Kerry is the author of When My Husband Does the Dishes, dot, 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 and The Little Book of Anxiety, both published by Random House. Her latest book, out there, a survival guide for dating in midlife is released this month through Bonnier. So, welcome to the program, Kerry. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Let's talk about this media personality thing. What does it mean, and how did you become one? I, you know, I discovered I was a media personality when Daily Telegraph referenced one of the articles I wrote and said, uh, "Media personality Kerry Sackville said blah blah blah," and I was thrilled. Well, yes. I was thrilled. That was, that was a big milestone for me. So as far as I know, it's still the, the first and only time it's happened, but I'm, I'm hanging on to it. Did you once, just put that on your CV? Once a media personality, always a media personality <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Hashtag media personality. That's great. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the beginning of your authoring career and just talk about your first book, When My Husband Does the Dishes, which was published in 2011, which is like, you know, eons ago, really. How did that come about? Well, you can tell me, Al, <laughs> because you were instrumental in the I whole see, project. I only brought it up so we could talk about the fact that it was just all about me, really. So you know, she I, to... I owe everything to you. <laughs> uh, so I had had a very, very minor writing career. I had um, I'd started sending off articles to various places uh, back in – Oh, gosh, very early 2000s. Um, and then uh, after a death in the family, I stopped writing altogether. And then in 2009, it would have been, wow, I discovered Twitter and I started tweeting. And through Twitter, uh, I was encouraged to start blogging from my legions of uh, three or four fans who were saying, we like your tweets. Do you have a blog? So I started blogging, and that was back in the heyday of blogging, as you, you know, as you know. Yeah. Um, it was actually really easy then for somebody with talent and drive to kind of uh, push through um, and be seen. It's so hard now because every every second woman and her dog has a blog, but back then it was it was a smaller pool of talent. So I started blogging, and I got some work. Uh, unpaid work but writing for Mamma Mia which which back in those days really did give me a boost um I know there's a lot of controversy about unpaid work now but certainly back then it really helped to kick start my career and then I was approached by an agent how did she hear about me well this is where you come <laughs> how did she hear about you Kerry well this wonderful woman called Alison Tate, who uh, had been a, a Twitter friend of mine, had alerted uh, this brilliant agent from Curtis Brown to the fact that I was writing a book because I'd mentioned it on Twitter a few times. And so uh, Pippa from uh, Curtis Brown actually sent me an unsolicited email saying she'd heard I was writing a book, she loved my blog, and would I be interested in chatting to her about it? 
So really I had a dream run. You know, I had an agent approach me. I didn't have to go and do the hard yards and send out my manuscript. And she took me on. Uh, she sold my first manuscript, the book that became When My Husband Does the Dishes. There was a bidding war, which was just amazing. Uh, Random House bought it. Um, they published my second book as well, uh, which was a little book of anxiety, Confessions from a Worried Life. Um, and then it all went bad, of course. But um, those, you know, those are the good old days. <laughs> It didn't all go bad, but, but what I did do is, is very unwisely uh, move away from what I'm good at and what I know how to do, and I tried uh, writing a novel, um, and uh, then I tried writing another one, and uh, after some consultation with various publishers and my agent, we decided I should stick to what I do very well, which is which is memoir writing. So hence my latest book is another work of nonfiction and um, I feel very good about that and very good about my decision to leave fiction to people who know how to do it. It's fantastic. Do you know, though, I mean, as listeners will probably be able to tell from our conversation, you and I know each other quite well and have known each other for a long time, having met on Twitter. Um, I always say Twitter is such a great place to, to meet great people. Um, but... Do you, I mean, I personally, from my perspective, think it's brilliant that you, that you wrote a couple of manuscripts. Like you, you not only said, I'm going to write a novel, you sat down, you wrote a couple and you decided that it wasn't for you. And I think that that's a very brave and grown up decision. Well, I think what the brave and grown up thing to do is, is to talk about the failures Um, because I know my perception of other people in the media and in publishing is you know, when I see somebody with books on the shelf and I see somebody with column inches, I think, wow, they're so successful, um, you know, and, and they must have just had a, a career progression that just got higher and higher and higher. Um, and so I want people to know, I'm sure there are people who look at me like that, and I want people to know that, no, I've had huge values um, and I've had things knocked back, I've had columns knocked back, I've had work knocked back. But most of all, I had two full manuscripts rejected mm. uh, in between my second um, book and and this one, my third book. So, in fact, this is actually my, what is it, my fifth book. Fifth book. Fifth book. Mm. Um, and I, I, it, it took me a while to acknowledge that in public because I didn't want uh, the public perception of me to be as a failure. And what I understand now is that it's uh, people aren't just failures or successes. We all have have both uh, in our careers and in our lives. And I think it's it's equally as important to talk about the things that didn't go well. And and I think as writers, there is something to be said for trying different genres and branching out. But I think. Uh, there's also something to be said for, for doing what you do really well mm. and and um, and exploring that fully and becoming better and better at the particular genre that you know uh, you work really well in. So whether that's you know young adult, whether that's kids' books, whether that's picture books, whether that's that's nonfiction, whether that's stories, you know, or poetry. Some people can cross genres. I I have discovered I'm I'm not one of them at least at this point in my writing career. Do you think? Though that having written those two novels in in the middle of of your nonfiction career, do you think it changed the way that you approached writing your latest book out there? I think what it did, and what I really struggled with with the fiction, is making things up, right? And and um, I'm so grounded in in reality, and I'm so grounded in what really happens that when I was trying to write fiction, I was I was making sure that it was so realistic and so plausible that I found it hard to diverge from from reality. But what what it also taught me, I think, is to find the stories in in reality, mm. and that's I think what I do very well. And I think my latest book, uh, even more than the first two, is is um, is a lot of storytelling within the book. So this this book is actually a guidebook. It's a guidebook for women who are dating in midlife. But it's full of my own stories about dating, and, and it really taught me to to find, I guess, the story arc mm. um, in real stories and in real life, and they're everywhere, and everybody has those. Mm. Um, and a lot of people say to me, people that I meet, people that I date, and my friends say, "Wow, you know, bizarre things happen to you, and the craziest things happen to you, and the funniest things happen to you." And what I always say is, "No, they don't. These kind of things happen to everyone. I just look for them and I and I write about them." Mm. Yeah, that's. I, I remember talking to you at 
you know, at the time that your first book came out, I think we did a blog post or a Q&A or something. And, and I was asking you then, you know, what it was like to draw so much of your writing from your own experiences and to kind of put yourself out there like you, like you do. And we discussed the difference between writing a blog post, which kind of almost feels, you know, like it's a five minute ephemeral sort of a thing and writing a book, which felt to you, um, I remember you saying to me at the time, like much more permanent. Does it still feel that way? Do you still feel the differences now that we know that the internet is forever? Do do you still feel that there's more of a permanence in that printed word? So to speak, I do. I really do. And I'm, you know, I don't blog anymore, but I'm a columnist and I write. Yeah, some of my columns make it to print, the ones for Sunday Life, for example, and some others end up in, in the print copy of the paper. But for the most part, they exist only online. Mm. And I am aware of the permanence of them. Mm. Um, but a book does feel feel much, much more solid and much more permanent. And I think also you have much more leeway in a book to become more personal. And it's, it's I, I think it's because of the feedback loop. I have to be really careful what I write online because I get immediate feedback. I get immediate um, pushback. So, for example, I, you know, I don't just write about dating, but if I write a piece about dating, um, I will immediately get feedback and, and a huge amount of, of discussion sometimes online from women saying, yes, me too, yes, me too. And then I'll, I'll, it's so predictable. Then I'll get the pushback from the men who are like, hashtag not all men. I'm not like that. And it takes a lot of effort and it's a lot of energy to respond to that and to manage the feedback. And I have to be very careful about what I put in there about my personal experiences because I'm also aware that the people in my life who I'm, you know, the the stories that I'm mining um, can see it and and because of the immediacy will know that I'm talking about them. Right. Um, Right. So um, there's that. There's a feedback loop with the people who are the readers and there's a feedback loop with the people who um, the stories are inspired by. I always change details, but it's the inspiration. With a book, because there's a time lapse between writing the book and publication, um, two things. One is that you can you can use stories, you can take time to change details, and you know that by the time it's published, the people who inspire those stories probably won't recognise themselves. They certainly won't be recognisable to anybody else. So it gives you more leeway to explore those stories more fully mm. uh, because you, you know that, that you're um, able to guarantee anonymity in a way that you can't with, with online. And secondly, you don't – that the feedback – isn't as immediate. So people will read the book, they'll think about it, they may write about it, but I'm not sitting there at my computer madly responding to everybody who's reading my book in real time. Yeah. And so it, it does give me more freedom. Um, and also it's a psychological thing. You know, I've put so much in this book that I would never write online. So many personal details about myself and, and anecdotes. Um, and that's purely psychological. Just as many people will read it, but because I sat and wrote it and um, it took a long time before it got to print. It, it actually feels, it, it creates a psychological distance between me and the text, yes. which is completely in my head. Yes, it is because, completely in your head. <laughs> because, of course, people are reading it now and I've got all sorts of things in there about my sex life and, oh. and you know, my love life and my feelings. But, but simply because of the gap between writing it and publication, it feels safer. In a way that is, it, it's purely psychological, but it, it works. So, have you ever, while you were writing your memoirs, have you ever gone back in editing and gone, "Oh no, that's way too much information," or, or are you sort of like happier once it's in the manuscript form to kind of let it go? That's such an interesting question. I've had this discussion with other other writers who are writing memoirs. What I tend to do is, as I'm writing it. I write it as if nobody's going to read it. Right. I, I think that's the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, and then what I do afterwards is I, so I write it with absolute truth, absolute honesty, uh, full disclosure, because that's the way to get the truth out. Um, and then afterwards when, when I come back to editing it, what I'll do then is change details. Like I'll read it back and think, okay, this is just this, this person is going to recognise themselves. I'm compromising this person. Or very occasionally, because I'm less concerned about myself, I'm, I don't want my kids to read that about me. Yeah. Um, so I'm going, to, I'm going to pull that back a bit. Yeah. So I do that in the editing process. But when I'm actually writing, what I do recommend to other people when they're writing um, 
memoir when they're writing personal, not fiction, um, is to write at least the initial manuscript as if nobody's going to read it, and then you can decide at the end. But if you're trying to edit yourself as you go along, what's coming out is some sort of um, sanitised, kind of almost bastardised version of the truth. Mm. So honesty is obviously, because you need that honesty and truth of voice, don't you, to really engage a reader, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm also thinking like you, you're writing a book, um, particu- well, all of your books really, but particularly out there that, you know, does feature other people. Um, you know, what, do you, what are the parameters for that? Like how, how, do you, um, how do you know you've disguised, say, one of your dates enough so that they won't recognise themselves? Well, I, I'll tell you how I know because I've actually got a spreadsheet at home where I have to cross-reference who I'm talking about. Um, I've changed the details so much. So, okay, I'm just opening the book up at random and there's a story about, oh, who is this? There is a story about Aiden. Now, I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, who is Aiden? <laughs> you know, I, because I have never dated anyone called Aiden. So, of course, Aiden's a pseudonym for somebody else and I have to go back. And, you know, if I read the story now, I'll, I'll probably eventually remember that. I, I change details so much that I have to reference it myself do you remember, okay, Aiden was, you know, and, and the real name of Aiden and, and what he really did. So I change, I change um, physical appearance, I change jobs, um, I often change age as long as it, you know, I'm keeping within a reasonable range. Yeah. Um, but what I don't change is, is the kernel of truth that is the story. So, yeah. for example, if there is a man who broke my heart, then I write about the heartbreak, but I can change details that are completely superfluous to that, like how many kids the man who broke my heart had. Or a man who came on too strong, I'll change, you know, anything about his appearance or his work or, or his previous dating life. Um, as long as as the the kernel of truth that I'm, that I'm writing about is is um, accurate. Okay. So you mentioned you also have kids and two of them are teenagers. Do you need to have discussions with them, like, before the book comes out? Like, not only about your book even, I guess, but even your opinion columns are often very much drawn on your own experiences. Like, do they need to have advance warning of what's coming? They don't need to have advance warning because I'm actually really honest with them about my life Mm. Um, and they're really honest with me about what they want to know. So I'll tell them anything they want to know. I'm happy to, to have those discussions. But what I find with kids, um, very young kids and teenagers, is that they're self-monitoring they're self, um, so um, and they're, they're self-censoring as well in terms of the information that they want. Yeah. So, you know, you sit down with your kids and you say, I mean, hypothetically, I wouldn't actually have this conversation, but if I was talking to them about dating and if I said to them, would you like to know anything about, about um, say, my, my dating life, and they'll tell me what they don't want to know. They don't want to know about my sex life. They have no interest. Um, and I, and really I have, surprise me. I know, right? And, they, and um, you know, they'll, you, you can see very clearly with kids, and it's not just talking you know, in, in these conversations, in all conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, when parents are talking to kids, you, you learn very quickly that there are things that they just don't want to talk about, they don't want to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids you know, have access to, they, they all can use the internet. And in fact, um, with my teenagers, some of their friends actually do read my stuff online and, and have discussed it with with um, my kids. And my kids will say to them, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm their mother. They don't want to hear about my dating life. No, um, they but really don't. They don't. And, but having said that, I, I have never put anything in there in any of my columns that, that I would be horrified for them to find out Yeah. Um, because that would be ridiculous. They've, they've got access to it. Um, nothing that I'm ashamed of. Um, and most of the stuff, even if they don't want to know about it, they know anyway. They know the men I've dated. They know they've lived through my dating life. I, I, I'm not secretive about it. In fact, I write about that in the book. What works for me as a parent is to talk to my children about my dating life. So to be honest, I'm going out on a, on a date or even my 10-year-old will say, oh, mum, do you have a crush? And I'll say, oh, yeah, but I don't think he likes me or, you know, they'll, they'll know when I've been in a relationship with someone. Um, so it's not like I'm, I'm writing about this secret world, but I also do say that, that that's what works for me in terms of parenting and, and you know, that, that I don't necessarily advocate that for other people. That's just the relationship I, I have with my kids. And, you know, that's, that's also inextricably tied in with the work that I do. You know, I'm yeah. a personal columnist, so, so I can't really keep secrets from them 
um, I would have to I would have to find something else to do. And of course, I wouldn't be doing this work if I did keep secrets from them. So it's just yeah. um, indicative of the kind of person that I am and the kind of relationship that I have with them. You don't write about them very much, though, do you? No, no. Your stuff is mostly about you, um, yes. and it's yeah, it's not you. You don't sort of haven't made a an opinion career out of writing about what it's like to parent children. Well, I, I wrote a book about parenting, but the book was very, um, very generic yeah. parenting. Yeah. And I've always maintained it, and I, and I still stand by this. Um, anybody who has read every single word I have ever written would not be able to pick my kids out in a lineup. Yeah. Because I, I've written so generically, when I have written about parenting, so generically about parenting, I've never written ever about my kids' um, personalities, their personal challenges, no. um, what they struggle with. Um, only and, and anything that I've ever put online about any of them has has always been with their full permission. And it's always really, you know, silly, generic sort of stuff, you know, like, like oh, the kids made a mess, as opposed to, oh, my child has just been hospitalised for such and such, or my child is receiving counselling for such and such. Yeah. Um, and, again, my child is not in hospital or receiving counselling. I'm just giving examples. Receiving counselling for being yeah. messy, perhaps. Yeah. Receiving counselling for being my child, you know, that would be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are, there are numerous bloggers out there um, and writers who, who have made careers out of writing about their, their kids in, in exquisite detail and, and, and peppering the internet with pictures of their children and the personal details of the children. And that's something that, that does not, work for me doesn't sit well with me personally and it's something I haven't done mm-hmm. um, and I've tried really hard to, to maintain my kids privacy online we have different surnames I don't mention their names online I've never put photos of my kids online except occasionally from the back so you can see the back of a head mm-hmm. um, very very occasionally um, because I feel like it's my decision to go online it's my decision to disclose about my life it's my decision to become a public uh, figure in a small way, but, but it's not their decision. Yeah. Um, and I want them to be able to curate their own lives. So, okay, let's go back to the writing process of your books. What, what you know, do you approach, write, approach writing a book differently than you would, you know, an opinion piece, so to speak, or is it more yeah. just like a very long discussion? No, completely differently. Um, so when I write an opinion piece, which is generally um, – but say roughly between 650 and 800 words. Mm. Um, I, I'm so practiced at it now that I will spend time obviously coming up with the topic um, and then thinking very carefully about my thesis and, and um, what I believe about it. And then it almost always comes out in one go. Yeah. So I'll sit down and write it from start to finish. It usually doesn't take a lot of time. That The time is taken in thinking about it. Yeah. Although fact check for, you know, for grammar and spelling, maybe tighten something up, and, and that's it. Um, you obviously can't write, you know, a 65,000-word book in the same way that you would write a 650-word column. No. Uh, so books I will um, start with um, a few ideas that I jot down and I do it almost like, um, how would I describe it, like some kind of um, mm, diagram where you start with one spot and then you go to another spot on the diagram and fill that in and then you come back and add a bit there. And it's all over the shop. Mm. Like I start with the bare bones of it and just will go back and forth. Um, gradually it'll, it'll kind of um, expand into uh, – Chapters, so there'll be you know various chapter headings and little bits scrawled under each. And then I might go and write an entire chapter and then come back to the first bit and I fill it out. And there's no particular order; it just sort of grows organically. It's, it's right. a really strange sort of process. And I always read back my books and think, I, I don't even know how I did this. I can't really remember writing this. This is so like wow, it just kind of grew. <laughs> I, I understand that feeling. You read yeah. it and just think, where did that even come from? Yeah. As long as I read it and I'll laugh at the line. That's so funny. Oh, I wrote that. Oh, so <laughs> Hashtag I am hilarious, right? <laughs> Do you write every day when you're working on a manuscript? I try to, yeah. I, I find if I have to take a break from a manuscript, I lose my train of thought. I, I, I have to. It's like you tuck it away in a corner of your mind, but it's always there. Yeah. So there's one part of your mind that is always working on it, 
And, um, if, and, and you just know if you leave it too long, it's going to be really hard to come back to. I mean, with columns, I can't leave them at all. If I have to put a column away, if I start it and I can't finish it, I have to start it from scratch again. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, I find it almost impossible to go and, and um, work on a column that I've deserted halfway. So I nearly always write them in one go. Um, I just lose the group. And so with the, with the books, I mean, there'll be occasionally a day when I can't work on it, but I really do try and, and write even a line or two every day. And do you? how long do you think then that it took you to draft out your latest book? About nine months. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so given you do have children and you're a single mum and you're working and you're doing all those things, you know, is it sometimes difficult to manage the work-life, writing, dating balance? Have you got any no, tips for us on how to fit it in? Out. No, I've got it all sorted out. It's I know you do. It's completely easy. It's but like sure I'm you have tips. <laughs> I'm hopeless. When I'm, writing, when I'm writing a book, my house is an absolute tip. Uh, the bills pile up. Seriously, I, I have been threatened with having the electricity cut off, not because I didn't have money to pay the bill, um, but because I just didn't open the mail. Uh, um, I, oh, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. And the kids are, like, I'm, you know, yes, I've got kids and, yes, I've got a home, but I'm a terrible cook. Um, and it's because I haven't put the effort in because I'm just too busy doing other things. So the poor kids, even last night they were complaining. Okay, and um, okay, it's food and it's it's you know it's got calories and it's got it's nutritious, but it's it's you know pretty ordinary. Um, and I said, was there anything I do well? And they said, well, we know that you love us. It's like great, <laughs> really good. Um, but you know, it, the house is often really messy, especially when I'm writing a book. It's, when I'm not writing a manuscript, it's, it's much easier to keep things under control. Um, we'll run out of stuff. As I said, I won't pay the bills. Um, I won't answer phone calls. My inbox will pile up. And, and what will happen then is I'll often get to a point where I'm incredibly stressed because my life just feels completely out of control. Yeah. Um, and then I just have to you know, spend like two days cleaning up and, and you know, just trying to sort out and paying bills because things are getting cut off and I've got no money. And, and invoicing, I never invoice. That's the other thing. You know, I write these columns, but I don't invoice for them because, um, you know, if I've got, like, two hours to spend at the computer, I want to be writing on the book. You know, I want to be working on the book. I don't want to be invoicing. So there'll be times when when I'll literally um, have to invoice because I've got no money in the bank. And um, so really I'm, I'm well, what can I say? Uh, you I, know, I think I you've tips. covered it. Valerie like, Koo would have some things to say about this, you realise. Well, Valerie is, you know, Valerie is the most um, organised person, organized, energetic, confident person I've ever met. She, she's my, in fact, I really should put a picture of Val like, on my computer just to, like, remind me to invoice. We just shouldn't compare ourselves, really, should we? We should just sit over here in our corner with our curly hair and be done with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, I think... What I am trying to learn to do, and it's really, really hard, is to be more organised and just to do things like like open the mail um, and invoice regularly. And that's, that's actually really, it sounds like it's really challenging for me. I find it really hard to do. So um, that's the advice I would give other people is to do as I say and not as I do. <laughs> that's really nice. <laughs> so I hear um, so over the years, whilst you've been doing all these things and not paying the bills, you have actually created a pretty amazing author platform. Like you've got a really big community around you on various platforms that you that you have going on. Um, and you started with the blogging, but then you yeah. and then writing for other publications. And you know now you do you do speaking, you do appearances. Um, is it something you in, you obviously enjoy it? Like this is something that you obviously it's just not hard for you, is it? No, I, I really enjoy it, and. Um, I respond to almost everybody. I, like, I try to respond to everybody who comments online. I try never, ever, ever to leave a comment. Um, you know, I try to answer all comments on, on my Facebook page, on Twitter, on Instagram. Sometimes if a post goes really, really well, or it, it's hard to answer everybody, but at least I like every comment because I genuinely love the interaction. Um, I really do. I'm genuinely grateful for it. I it keeps me sane. Otherwise, I don't know how I'd do it, just sitting here writing all that. I get incredibly lonely. Um, and and often when I'm dating men, say, so what do you do? You, you know, how do you spend your days? And I say, I, I chat to people online. And they think I'm mad. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like the crazy woman who's, you know, on all the forums talking about how he can save coupons. 
Um, but I love it. It's it's what feeds me. And um, I, I know so many of the people who comment on my Facebook page, for example, because they comment over and over again. So I, I get to know them, and I feel like I, I feel like they're part of my life. So it's not it's not hard for me. It, it really isn't. I mean, there are days when I wake up and I think oh, I've got nothing interesting to say, and then inevitably something will happen. <laughs> that I think all oh, people are like this, and I'll, I'll tell them. And, and but it, it's just, it's so great getting that feedback, you know. Um, recently, I posted something about um, uh, a man who he said to me on a date, he said, Well, I've never dated anyone as old as you. Um, and I'm, I'm, for, I'm 49, and he was 51. And it made me feel really, really awful. And I, you know, a little while later, I, I, was, I thought, Oh, I'm. You know, I'm going to be broke and share that. So they made me feel really bad about myself. And I shared it on my Facebook page. And the response was massive. And just having other people say to me, you know, you're not alone. I feel this, you know, this has happened to me. Or, or even just, oh, what a douchebag. You know, it was so wonderful, so validating to feel, to feel like I'm not alone and to feel part of a community. So when people say to me that my writing helps them not to feel alone, I feel exactly that from the people who comment on it. Okay. Um, so I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's, what what sort of tips would you have for those who are starting out, you know, wanting to create a community? Like what, what would you suggest they focus on? Um, I think find your niche. Um, and I, I think where people struggle, where people go wrong is where they're throwing all, things, all, all sorts of things out you know, into the, the blogosphere, into the interwebs or, you know, whatever, just throwing out different ideas, a recipe here and a, a comment on life here and, and an anecdote about the kids there and, and you know, a picture of their new shoes. You need to actually focus on, on what your, your shtick is going to be. Uh, and people, it will resonate with somebody. So, you know, I've had different shticks over the years. You know, a few years ago I, I um, wrote almost exclusively sort of funny stories about my failures as, as um, a parent um, and then it was about anxiety. When I wrote the anxiety book, I wrote a lot about, about anxiety. I wrote almost exclusively about Nutella for about five years. You did. There was a lot of Nutella. <laughs> there was and Simon Baker. Um, and now it's, it's moved on to – and, of course, I wrote about marriage when I was married. Um and now it's, it's moved on to dating. But whatever your particular area, um, people will, you will find your, your, um, your readers, you will find the people with whom that resonates. Um, but you need, to, you need to have a shtick. It's not enough just to, to be, there. be there and be random. Mm. Um, and so the more, the more um, niche you are, the, ironically, the more chance you have of growing an audience. And then what it's about is, is then finding other spaces in which people are interested in that niche. Mm. Um, so going to other pages and other blogs and and um, and other communities, and then of course um, interacting with the people on your page. So growing your page by just like responding to people, making them feel welcome, making them feel heard. Like I'm not interested in going to a Facebook page and leaving leaving a witty comment and then having it. Um, just die and, and be good. I love it when I go to a page and I leave a comment and someone responds. Mm. Um, and so I, I give people that same courtesy. And, and also you can't fake it. Like I genuinely, as you probably could pick up, I genuinely love what I do and I genuinely love the interaction that I have on my Facebook page and on Twitter and on my Instagram. Um, and if you don't genuinely love it, you can't fake it. People no, not. That's true. All right, we're going to finish up today with our famous, infamous meaning oh. superstar. Um, oh, yeah, I, I go to the supermarket and I'm just like fall down. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, totally. <laughs> We're looking Never. for our top three tips for writers. What top, do you got for me? Top three What tips are your top three tips. tips for writers? Okay, first of all, don't call yourself a writer, just become a writer. Write. Mm. Write. Anything like carry a carry a notebook with you. Write, you know, writing on your phone. Always write. Do not go a day without writing. Jot down ideas as you have them. Don't then come back to them. and write. I hear so many people say, "I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer." No, no, no. Write. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, which is the same as, as growing a community, find your niche. Find what you love to write about. Find what you're passionate about. Find what you're excited about, and write about that. And as I said before. Um, it sounds counterintuitive, but the more niche you are, the more likely you are to find a place for yourself. Um, and of course, and read. 
um, read, read extensively, read in, in um, the field you're interested in, uh, particularly um, interact with other other writers, go to join writers groups. There are some terrific writers groups online. There are tons. I'm, I'm a member of about four different writers writers pages online um, and talk to other writers, um, get inspired by other writers, follow them, um, join the writing challenges um, and make yourself accountable by, by communicating with other writers what your intention is. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Best of luck with the new book. I'm sure it will be a smash hit and we will no doubt be seeing you soon on a TV screen near us. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Oh, wow. I mean, I love talking to Kerry. She's just a, she's just a scream, you know, when... Uh, I can do you remember when we? Do you remember when we did the? Um, uh, so you want to be a writer or get paid to write or something um, at Pro Blogger many oh, years yes. ago? The three yes. of us and we all flew down together. Oh, that's and right. Do you remember that? We had the most hilarious time. Oh. Like it was so funny. She's really good fun, um, and she's so clever. You know, like so I just clever. Think, and I love the fact, as I said up front, I love the fact that she's willing to talk about, you know, she doesn't just yes. like try to put the gloss over everything. She's she's happy to talk about the fact that, you know, she doesn't always get it right. And, mm. you know, she tried the, she tried writing fiction and I know she tried really hard. Like she worked on it so hard. It didn't work for her. And she's kind of, you know, she's, I think it, it's as much about learning with writing. It's as much about learning what you're good at and, yeah. and going with that as it is what you want to do. I think it's sometimes yep. what we really desperately want to do is not necessarily what we should be doing. Yep. Um, so, you know, which I discovered myself when I started writing children's fiction, I had no mm. idea that I was a children's author until I started. And then I thought, oh, okay, this makes sense. This is where I'm meant to be. And I think she, she was wanting to push herself as a writer, mm. which of course is important and you should definitely do that. Definitely. Um, but also coming to terms with the fact that maybe that's not where you're meant to be is mm. a big growth area I think as a writer as well yes and she has such a strong and unique and funny voice as a as a memoir style writer yeah. that uh you know that's t clearly where her genius lies but and it's so true there's some things that you know well like I want to look I desperately want to look like a supermodel but it's not going to happen for me so sometimes we have to come to these shattering realizations don't you think have you have you are you only just coming to terms with that now or is that something that's you know that you've known for a while I've deluded myself for a long time Al how, how could you having having worked on all of those magazines that we worked on and and seen those you know ethereal model beings wandering in and out of the office yes. I mean I just used to look at them and go okay yep no that's never going to be me <laughs> That's true. I think that I just avoid looking at them if a fear that I would come to that realization. So, you know, All right, you know what? go life. with the delusion, Val. Hang in there, babe. That's right. And I think also um, I've come to terms with the fact that if you like banoffee pie as much as I do, uh, or yeah. currently what's in the freezer, I know this is very, very low brow, but I'm not posh um, currently in the freezer is this is my favorite this is not sponsored anyone I really do love this um Sarah Lee apricot danish um <laughs> when oh you enjoy God. those treats as much as I do yeah you have to come to that realization and that's okay I'm I'm good with that She's good with that. That's great. I am. So we're almost the end of this week's episode Al what are you doing in the coming week? I am. Well, do you know what I'm doing? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a new book out. Yes. 
I am doing the final edits on another book. Which one? <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Which book? No, no, it's not the final edits as in like the final publisher edits. It's not like it's out next week or anything. Oh, right, no, yeah. these are my, my final edits I'm, right. before I send it to my publisher. So this is oh. different to the submission that I sent a few weeks ago, which I haven't really got an update on just yet. Right. But this is a different, this is a new, a different thing again. Oh, wow. So I'm just, I'm trying to make, this is one I've been working on for quite a while. I'm just trying to make it as good as it can be. Wow. I don't know where so you find the time. If there's one thing Alison is fantastic at is making the time to write these 5 million books. And of course, <laughs> that is why she created the course, How to Make Time to Write, because her strategies are extremely practical and her advice is very wise. So if you want to find out how to make time to write, go look at um, writercenter.com.au slash time because it's an awesome course and people have been loving it from the feedback we've been getting. All right. Well, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, both Alison and I are in the podcast community on Facebook. So search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and uh, request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.